Well, it is good to be here. Uh, they mentioned we were at youth convention. That's why all of us are wearing the same clothes today. Uh, <laughs> new, new sweatshirts from our district youth department. And uh, I'm glad to be representing that. Uh, I'm excited to preach here this morning. I know I've met a bunch of you already. It's your first time here at Restoration Church. But for the last four weeks, we've been joining in with another church called Gateway Church and listening to a sermon series by their pastor. So I've been, I'm just, I'm itching to preach this morning. I'm excited. I have probably too many things to say. I feel like my wife at the end of a day when I get home from work. It's just a million things to tell me and catch me up on. And uh, it's just taken me four weeks to get to this point. Uh, so just, uh, uh, so anyway, that, that's what's going on. I'm excited to, to be here this morning and to start off this series. Uh, I want to share with you um, a little bit just about our last series. I've gotten a bunch of testimonies from people. A testimony is a story of God's goodness in people's lives. And uh, a bunch of people have texted me and emailed me over the series. And if God did something in your life through the last series, I'd love for you to tell me as well. You can, you can email me or post it on our Facebook group, We Are Restoration. And we want to celebrate with you what God's done. I was... Um, a, a couple of years ago, I was watching a uh, I was watching a documentary on gangs in Los Angeles. I don't remember exactly why I was watching this, but I know when I was in fifth grade, I was in a gang at Maplewood Elementary School in Summersworth, and so uh, it may have been a part of me just kind of connecting back with my street life, just trying to see how they used to do things on the West Coast. But but as I was watching this. One of the things that stuck out to me that I have never forgotten is that they can kind of map out these gang territories in Los Angeles. And some of the guys in these gangs, 15 years old, 18 years old, you know, 23 years old, they're, they're, they've been in this, in this gang warfare and they've been raised in it and grown up in it. And it's been all they've ever known. And a lot of these guys, many of these guys in these gangs are so... Uh, so uh, focused on this gang warfare that they've never even seen the Pacific Ocean. So they're over in California, but they've never seen the Pacific Ocean because they were born in these neighborhoods and they just live protecting their turf in these neighborhoods. And uh, one of the things, they showed a map of Los Angeles and a map of where these gangs are. And some of the territories of these gangs are, it's just three blocks away from the Pacific Ocean, but yet they've never seen the Pacific Ocean. Three blocks away, but they're so focused on what's going on in their neighborhood and what they're trying to protect and what they're fighting about that they have never ventured out. This is kind of the big idea of our series. You can miss out on what God has for you, and you can even be so close, three blocks away from experiencing something you've never experienced before in God and in Jesus, but you can miss it, and we don't want you to miss it, and as your pastor, I don't want you to miss it. I want you to have the courage to go out into uncharted territories to experience everything that Jesus has for you to experience and to do everything that he's called you to do. One of the things that we look at every week is 
um, is the Bible and opening it up and trying to learn from it. We have the opportunity this morning to look at some of the history of the church. We've got Easter coming up on April 21st, and that's always an amazing Sunday where we celebrate Jesus and the fact that he's risen, and we don't serve and follow someone who once died, but we follow someone who still lives. And the part we're about to read is uh, just after that, about 50 days after Jesus rose from the grave and rose from the dead, um, there are all these things that are happening in that 50 days. Jesus shows himself as a resurrected person to over 500 people and, uh, and kind of all these amazing, amazing things happening. And Jesus gives uh, these commands or he gives these opportunities to his disciples and to the people who are following him. And they have the opportunity to step into it and experience him and experience him in new ways and in ways they, uh, in, in uncharted ways. And what we believe as we look at this, and what we believe for you is that there's something that Jesus has for you, but you're going to have to venture out to it, to receive it, to experience it. And, uh, and we just believe that it's worth it. It's going to be worth it for you to go after everything that Jesus has. If you have your Bibles, open up to the book of Acts. Uh, if you kind of flip over your Bible, if you see uh, any of the books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, you're close to it. It is right after that. And the book of Acts was written by a guy named Luke who was a doctor. And he wrote it uh, because a wealthy man hired him to gather all the facts. And he writes the Gospel of Luke and the, gospel, and the, and the Acts of the Apostles really as almost a historical document, just matter of fact, this happened, and this happened, and this happened, and he's just documenting all of the events that happened. So as we read it, we have the opportunity of seeing, hey, what did the church do after Jesus returned to heaven? What did the church do? How did the people who followed Jesus, how did they respond? How did they act? How did the church grow? How did we, over 2,000 years later, become people who followed Jesus and have been able to experience him? So this is kind of the the beginning of that story of how it moved from a city and, and, and moved around the world. If you've got your Bibles open, if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you a uh, copy of the Bible for free, and you can get that at the Welcome Center in the lobby, but also you can download one on your phone so you can always follow along with us every week. But open up to Acts. We're going to be in Acts chapter 1, and then we'll be, uh, you can kind of leave it open because we'll be in chapter 2, and we'll also be in chapter 8 today, getting a kind of a quick overview of everything that happened and everything that God had for them. So Acts will be in chapter 1. We'll start by reading verse number 4, and uh, we'll talk about that for a second, and then we'll read uh, another verse after that. So said, once when he was eating with them, this is Jesus, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. Now, this is a command that Jesus is giving them after his resurrection. Love to note that he's eating with them. You know, he wasn't a ghost. He was resurrected. He was, uh, his body had been risen from the grave, and he, he was a fully functioning human, though he was now had revealed himself fully as God as well. And so he's eating with them, and he says, all right, here's what's going to happen. Let me, let me, under, let me give you uh, some things to do here over the next few days. You need to stay in Jerusalem. And uh, they didn't live in Jerusalem. This was during Passover time, so they had all traveled in with Jesus during that time. He said, you need to stay here until 
you receive the, until you receive the Holy Spirit. And so they've got this command. Don't go back to your homes. Don't go back. You need to stay here because there's something for you. And then he, the second part of this command, after you do, you'll go around the world telling people about me. And we read this in verse number eight. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, where you are right now, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Two parts of this command. Stay in Jerusalem, receive the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send him to you, and you're going to receive him and be baptized him and be empowered by him. And then after you receive him, you're going to take this good news of me around the world and to share people with him. So 10 days after Jesus returns to heaven, we read this, in, and it's in Acts chapter 2, and uh, starting at verse number 1. It says, On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. So we read right here, they received the Holy Spirit. They had no idea this was what it was going to look like, that this is what was going to happen, but they received the Holy Spirit. And immediately following this event, uh, there was a lot of people in Jerusalem at that time for, to celebrate Passover so they hear the commotion. They hear this mighty sound of a rushing wind. A huge crowd gathers outside, they were, outside where they were. Um, it's early in the morning. They, they don't know what, what's going on. And Peter gets up and preaches, the, the, and preaches a, a message. Hey, let me tell you about Jesus. And 3,000 men give their life to Jesus at that moment and say, I'm going to follow him. There was 120 people gathering together and praying in verses 1 through 4. Moments later, there are 3,120 people who are now following Jesus. It was amazing. It was amazing. Just everything that began to happen and everything that Jesus was doing. So they obeyed, the, they obeyed Jesus. They stayed in Jerusalem. They received the Holy Spirit. But what was their next step? They were now that they've received the Holy Spirit, they were to go everywhere telling people about Jesus. But what did they do? We begin to read in Acts, and they never did that. They stayed in Jerusalem. They, they stayed there. We don't know if they sold their houses and moved there, but they were there for a number of years. And, uh, and this wasn't... They, this wasn't what God wanted them to do. One of the things that happened at Youth Convention this weekend, Friday morning, one of my friends, Eric, was speaking, and he was challenging adults and, and teenagers to receive calls to be missionaries, that there would be people who are going to learn new languages, learn new cultures, and move into those cultures to share Jesus with, with people all around the world. And so he... he said, if, you've, if you know you have that call or you feel now God's calling you to do that, I want you to come up front. So 38 uh, teenagers and leaders came to the front of the room, and there were uh, about 450 people there at this event. 
So 38 teenagers and uh, 38, I think 38 teenagers came to the front and two of those teenagers were from Restoration Church. They came to the front and say, hey, I feel God calling me to be a missionary to, uh, to a place where I didn't grow up to be a missionary to another part of the world. When they made that statement and when they came forward, they gave up the right to become a townie like me, to just live and work and die in the area you grew up in. They've, they've given up that. And they said, and so what would happen now is Jesus invited, is inviting them on this, uh, into uncharted territory to do maybe what no one in their family has ever done before, to do what very few of us will ever have to do. They're making that commitment. What's going to happen if in 45 years from now, uh, they're still sitting in our services? Doesn't matter how godly they are, how, how wise they are, how much scripture they have memorized, they will ha- be missing out on something that God has for them. And what, this is what happened with those 120 believers who God said, receive the Holy Spirit and then go to the world. They didn't. They stayed in Jerusalem. They became a church and they became people who were stranded. The old city of Jerusalem is not very big. I had the opportunity to go there in February. I went to Israel. I went to Jerusalem. Some guy I've never met before paid for me to go. How that happened, I don't know. I don't even know who he is. I don't know his name. I don't know anything. But I was able to go. And one of the things that surprised me when we went to Jerusalem was really how small it was. I probably had an idea that it was small, but the old city of Jerusalem was a walled city. That was one of the ways they protected themselves. And... Um, and it is uh, the walled area of Jerusalem, the old city of Jerusalem, is just a third of a square mile big. So Summersworth, which is the smallest New Hampshire city, is 10 square miles. So this is significantly smaller than that. You can walk through the entire, you can walk less than an hour, you're walking through cr- across the entire thing. It is surprisingly small. And, uh, and, Jesus told the disciples, hey, stay in Jerusalem. But his call for them was outside the walls of that ancient fortified city. His call was for them to go to the world. I want to show you a picture of, of the Eastern Hemisphere. This is the known world at this time. Obviously, people on the other side of the hemisphere knew they were there. Uh, but these people here didn't know they were there. And Jerusalem is right over here uh, in the middle of Israel. And Israel, the entire country, is about, I can cover it up with my pinky here. And they were in a third of a square mile part of a country that is significantly small. It's the size of New Jersey. And they weren't leaving. God called them, go to the world. And they were to go to the world. But yet they're, they're staying and they're stranded and they're stuck in this tiny part of a tiny country, and God's called them to go to the world. What happened was they ended up staying in Jerusalem for four years and never venturing out. And, you you know, I wasn't there, so I can't completely say why they were there, but we can look at what was happening and try to understand why they did that. Why, when they had a command to go to the world, 
did they stay with inside the walls of the city of Jerusalem? One of the things that we can see is that it was a model they were taught. And the, the, the apostles and the disciples, they were Jewish people who, had, uh, who were uh, of Jewish nationality and they were Jewish faith. It was their entire identity. When they made the decision to follow Jesus, they did not start a new religion. They identified themselves now as Jewish people who believed that Jesus was the Messiah. So they didn't identify themselves as anything separate than that. We're Jewish, we know who the Messiah is, and we're now sharing him with, uh, with other people. Hey, we found him, we know him, we met him, we witnessed his resurrection, we witnessed his power. Here, let me pray for you, let me show you his power. And, and, but they, they were Jewish people. So they continued to do everything that they did as Jewish people following their their. their laws and traditions and rituals of being Jewish men and Jewish women, um, and just now with the understanding of who Jesus was. And they didn't quite understand how it would work. So they begin to go to the temple every day. They, they begin to tell Jewish people about Jesus, but they didn't tell people about Jesus. Uh, they didn't tell Jesus to people who weren't Jewish. They, their understanding, it, it seems like, was that God was going to save and raise up the Jewish people. But God's plans were bigger than that, and it took them a while to realize it. Now, the other thing that we see is that for them, for a Jewish person, life was focused on the temple. And they were, uh, in Exodus and a couple other times in the scripture, there, was, there were laws that were that required and highly suggested that men should return to the temple three times a year and bring their family. And so there were times where that little city of Jerusalem would have over 300,000 people, 300, people visiting it because they were obeying scripture and coming at certain times for certain celebrations. So they continued to think that that it was going to surround around the temple. So they wanted to be close to it. They they, they knew Jesus was going to come back again. They wanted to be close to the temple when he did come back. The temple was important because that was the place where God dwelled. Before Jesus came to earth and before Jesus was uh, raised from the grave, the Holy of Holies inside the temple was the place where the tangible, physical presence of God was. And no one went in there except for a priest, and after uh, significant uh, uh, ceremonial cleansing, would, would he go in there just to um, do the administrative work that was required uh, of keeping candles lit and refilling oil inside the Holy of Holies, and then he would leave. No one went in there. So you came to the temple because that's where the presence of God dwelled. And, and so this is what it looked like. Yeah, the temple... And everybody from all across the world traveled to the temple. That was the, the holy place. That was the place where you would, uh, you would bring and offer sacrifice and, offer and, and receive forgiveness. This was a big deal. And now, when this happened, they received the Holy Spirit. They begin to see uh, many Jewish people come to, come to faith, give their trust and give their lives to Jesus. But then, um, but then as a church and as people who follow Jesus, they begin to experience something very special. And we see this in Acts chapter, uh, in Acts chapter 2. 
says that the church, they worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper. They shared meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. And I want to make sure we make note of this, that the people being saved were people who were Jewish people. This point, no one who's not a Jew is coming, is, is coming to Christ. It's just, it's Jewish people, that's who they're preaching to, that's who's believing, and this is how they think it's going to function and how it's going to play out. And so the church preached, and people got saved. They prayed, and people got healed. They gave and gave generously and gave cheerfully. They led many Jewish people to Christ. They had a great thing going. And in a lot of ways, this is a type of church we want to become. And you'll hear people talking about, I want my church to be like that. Uh, yeah, people love and people share and people are generous and people are, 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 are with each other during the day. And we're not just people who show up to a church service once a week and that's all the interaction we have. And I think that's a great thing. We do want to become more like that. And we're not there yet. Across all of our locations, we want to be more like that. Within our circles, our groups and meeting homes, we want to be more like that. But I say this really a, a little bit nervously, but that church, I believe, was a disobedient church. Because remember, they had been given two commands, receive the Holy Spirit and go into the world. To share the gospel. And they weren't doing that second part. They were only sharing the good news of Jesus in Jerusalem. So we can look and say, and we can look and say, I want my church to be like that, but that was an incomplete church, and we can't model that completely. Because for us, just like it was for them, we're called to be people who go into all the world and share the good news of people, share the good news of Jesus with people. We can, we can get, we can ourselves get stranded and say, I just want to come to church and leave. Uh, I, you know, I don't want to do much more than that. Uh, I, I, sometimes people have said things to me like, church should be for church people. Church is for Christians and not for people who don't believe. Listen, there's nothing we can do as Christians, that's not for people who don't believe. There's not one, we, we just can't exist to have our services and raise our hands and, and, and get fed and hang out with each other because that is not a church that's obedient to what Jesus has called us to do. We know that our primary earthly responsibility is to share the good news of, uh, good news of Jesus with anybody who will listen. And we're not, with our, with our fists clenched and our fingers pointed, uh, harassing people about Jesus, but anybody who wants to listen, we're not afraid to share what he's done in our life, and we're excited to have the opportunity to share what Jesus has done and what he can do for them. We're not angry, we're not defensive, we're not accusing, we're just praying every day, give me the opportunity to share you, Jesus, with someone. Send someone my way who wants to hear, who, who would be open to hearing about you. And as long as you are still here on this earth, that means that God still has one more person for you to reach. 
at least one more person, just one more person. But you're not going to leave this life to the next till you've, uh, till you've completed the assignment that he's called you to live. We have to be a church that goes into all the world. What we have to begin to see here is that Christianity was never supposed to have a holy city. And for a Christian visiting Jerusalem and visiting Israel, it's different for us than for people. It should be different for us than for people of other faith. Because God hasn't, God didn't design it for us to have a holy city. He has designed it for us to be a holy people. And it's not to be the world is supposed to show up and see the hill of Golgotha and see an empty tomb where it could have been Jesus and we're kissing the stones and we're touching the stones and, and, and trying to worship the stones. What's, and we're not supposed to bring people there and say, look at this stone. Jesus was once right here. It's in that amazing touch that stone. Jesus was there one time. We're not supposed to be worshiping these items. But instead, when we see these items, it should cause us to raise our head and our eyes toward heaven and say, I can't believe Jesus. I'm reminded. And when I'm here in this place of what you did for me, what you did for humanity, this causes my heart to worship you, not these items and not these things. And God never wanted it to be for people to show up and see where he once walked, but he wanted it to be where he shows us off. And when we walk into our workplace, when we walk into our homes, when we walk into our neighborhoods, people could see what Jesus has done in us and say, man, wow, I remember how you used to be with a heart of stone. I can see how you are now. I don't believe what you believe, but tell me what you believe. I'd like to hear what, what's going on and why you believe it. God hasn't called us as a church and us as people who know him and follow him to just be safe, comfortable, insulated, isolated. God's call for you, for me, is outside these walls, outside of the walls of our church building. This is a church building. It is a building. We meet in this building. Plymouth meets in a building there. London area meets in a middle school. There's nothing special about these buildings except we said, God, we're going to use them for your glory. They're buildings. The temple in Israel doesn't even exist there. It got torn down in 70 AD. And, uh, and, and we know what's the temple of God. We are the temple of God. That holy of holies the presence of God, he, Jesus said, is now in every believer. So what's supposed to happen is not that we show up at church, not that we show up at the temple, but that you go out to the world. And you bring the presence of God and the temple of God to everywhere you go. And when you're in those places, you don't hide behind your cubicle walls. You don't hide behind the walls of your house. You don't hide behind... Um, walls of insecurity, but you step outside of that to say, you've called me to share you, Jesus, with other people. And we become that, and we do that, and we live that. Now the church 
the church didn't do that. We read they stayed in Jerusalem. They were there for four years. And what we see in history is the only reason they ended up leaving Jerusalem is because persecution rose up against the church. There was a man named Saul, and Pastor Will mentioned him earlier today. He was there, began to lead persecution against Christians, began to get them, uh, lead kind of mobs to kill them, begin to try to arrest them. And Stephen, who was one of the first deacons in the church, he was killed for being a follower of Jesus. And they, and, and they, began, they liked that. When they killed him, they liked it. And uh, they kind of begin to thirst for more. And so tons of persecution rose up against the church. And then in 44 AD, it became illegal to be a Christian. And the persecution increased that even beyond there. But it wasn't until 34 AD when the persecution began to, uh, begin to really escalate that now, for the first time, they were forced out of Jerusalem for their own safety. And now the gospel began to spread through the world. What happened is when right in this little city, they begin to hit the region and then they begin to uh, spread the gospel more. And Saul, who was killing Christians, came to Christ, began to believe Jesus, and he went on many missionary journeys, hitting parts of Asia, hitting parts of North Africa, hitting these islands. And they, we believe on one of his missionary journeys, he even made it to Spain and all the way to the United Kingdom sharing the good news of Jesus with people. And what happened is Christianity spread, the good news of Jesus spread, and then it eventually was carried to, uh, to the other hemisphere by missionaries, famous men and women of God who shared his faith. And somewhere along the line, we have come to Christ because they finally did the second part of that command. They went out and they obeyed. So the church expanded. So I just want to have a moment to begin to, to pray for you, but persecution is terrible, and we don't want it. We don't want it. But if we become a if we become a church that's just showing up for our church service, and we become a church that only cares about ourselves, and we come a church that's just hey, I, I need another Bible study, not more, but I don't want to reach my community, then uh, then we are way off, and we are missing out what God has for us, and I want us to step into uncharted territory. But you as an individual, your prayer this week and every day and every week for the rest of your life is, um, Jesus, if there's anybody near me at any point in the day who would be open to hearing about you, make an opportunity that I can share about how great you are and what you can do for them and, and what you did for me. And we're not forcing, we're not attacking, and we're not screaming, and we're not jerks. We're just praying because we know that there are people who, who need him, who want him, and who will receive him. And eventually we'll talk about this uh, next week, but, but we're going to see God's plan wasn't just for Jewish, uh, Jewish people of Jewish faith and Jewish ethnicity to come to Christ, but that God had a bigger plans and he opened up heaven to everybody. And he offered salvation to everybody. And they didn't even know at first how this was going to happen, what this looked like, because all of a sudden all these non-Jewish people are coming to Christ. And this, what do we have to do? They have to now become Jewish to get to heaven. And they had no idea. All of it 
through this entire book of Acts, it's all uncharted territory for them. Some of it we know and understand now because very few of us are Jewish. We don't exist for ourselves. We don't just live for ourselves. We give our lives and we live our lives for the glory of God. I want to pray for you. You can, you can stare at me or you can close your eyes, whichever you prefer. Jesus, we, we love you. And it's hard, it can be hard for someone who's never known you or never experienced you to understand why we would say that, why we would express that we don't just have belief in you, but that we love you. But for those of us who have had our lives changed by you, we've had our sins forgiven by you, we put our trust in you, it's easy for us to say we love you because we're so grateful for everything that you've done in our life. All the ways you're working in our life, all the ways you bless us, all the things you've forgiven us from, all the moments where you just touch our heart, change us. Jesus, I pray for anybody in here who's never made a decision to follow you. It, it, I, you know, they can put up all these obstacles and walls in their lives to say, I, you know, I don't want to, I get a different uh, ethnic background or a different faith background, and, and so this could never be for me, but may they hear about you. May they step into uncharted territories and know and love and be forgiven by Jesus, their Lord, their Savior. There's not all kinds of rituals and things we have to do to, to make a decision for, to follow you. We just do that. We make a decision to follow you. We tell you and express that we believe that you are God's son. We ask you to forgive the sins that we've, and the wrong things that we've done in our life. And then you forgive us. And then we're one of yours. I just pray anybody in here who's never, never made that decision to follow you right now, they feel it in their, in their belly, they feel it in their, t in their chest, I need to do this. They make a decision right now in their seat. They tell you, I'm gonna follow you, Jesus. I give you my life, Jesus. Jesus, as a church, help us not to just be comfortable, not to get distracted, not to just enjoy each other, but may we stay committed to the commands you've given us, share, share your, to share your good news with people all over the world. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.